Welcome to episode four of the Evolve podcast. I'm really excited about today's episode. Jake Gibb, a three-time Olympian, multiple award winner on the AVP Beach Volleyball Tour, is our guest today. Jake's a good friend, and he imparts a lot of wisdom to us today about how to take full accountability for your life. Jake walks us through what it was like to survive cancer and overcome one of the most difficult years of his life to compete at the highest level once again. At the end of the podcast, Jake walks us through what the transition from beach volleyball and playing professional sports is going to look like. I think a lot of us can relate that in 2020, many things changed for us and we found ourselves having to adapt, maybe even change a career or move our life in a different direction. Jake's story is an inspiration and a guide for all as we continue on our progress of personal evolution. So without further ado, here's episode four of the Evolve podcast with Jake Gibb. With that, uh, tell us what's uh, what's going on with you right now. What's inspiring you? Is there a, a band or music that you're listening to? Are there people in your life that are inspiring you? Um, what does that look like? Leon Bridges. What's that? Leon Bridges. Oh, okay. Heard tell it? us about it. I think I know the name. How do I know that, though? Music we're talking. Uh, yeah, he's the. My wife is like the, the music guru in, in this house, and so she's always signing us up for concerts. And I, I'm always like begrudgingly going. And now during the pandemic, it's like the thing I miss most is just going ah. to a concert. And I'm just like, I'm like, man, I was such a little bitch about it before. <laughs> Now I'm like, man, I would love to go out to the Hollywood Bowl and, you know, watch Ray LaMontagne. Or, you know, she she likes these kind of soulful. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah, same thing. Along that Ray LaMontagne, you got, uh, what, what, who have we gone to recently? Well, nothing recently, but um, she picks out the good music. I, I sit down and listen to it, and that's how our inspiration goes. Coming Home, that's the album I've got on my um my iPod or yes. my phone, I guess. Yes. Yeah, Better Man. I love that song. Yeah. Shine, twisting and grooving. Uh, yeah, great music. It's so good. Yeah, I go, I go like Leon Bridges radio, and just that takes you down a whole, you know, just good music. So, yeah, did that's you, great. Did your wife find me, like, did your wife find this for you? Did she what? Did she find this for you, your wife? The music. Yeah. 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 Okay, that's 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 pretty amazing. And the reason why I think it's amazing is because um, it's like you you, you never know where <clears throat> inspiration is coming from. It's to me, inspiration is kind of random. You know, there's some things you can plan, but most often it's the door you don't know is going to open, and all of a sudden you you have this wife, and she's the music guru, and all of a sudden she finds music that inspires you. Yeah. That's pretty cool. My, That's Miles. Amazing. Have you listened to Leon Bridges? I've never even heard of Leon Bridges. I thought you and I had talked about it before. When Jake said that, and I'm pulling him up on my phone, I thought uh -huh. we've we've talked about him before. You got to check no. him out. You know, because um, so so Steve, my my ex-wife, she is a choreographer, and she literally um, consciously sets aside time to hunt for music all over the world to inspire her. And then when she also finds things that she thinks I like, she sends me music and says, oh, I think you'll like this. So 
that when you said that, it just resonated with me. Just powerful. Yeah. You still have that relationship being divorced? Say it again? You still have that relationship with your wife? With your oh, yeah. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah. She had a mouse in her house the other day. She came over here and spent the night. <laughs> she, she slept on my couch because she has a fiance. But um, she came over because she lives right around the corner from me. We did that to make it convenient with the boy. And uh, she called me up the other night. And she said, "There's, the, you know, she's got these guys going over to the house to fix this problem." She said, "Can I stay there?" I said, "Of course." So we're we're pretty, pretty. Um, um, I didn't know if I didn't. Well, I don't know you, but that's a little suspect. Right? My ex-wife is saying there's a mouse in the house. I want to come spend the night. That we're not. We're not. This isn't being aired right now. Right, right now. Right? No. 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 <laughs> <laughs> you know what? It, your ex-wife seen this, but man, she might have wanted a piece, bro. I don't think so. Uh, trust me. Like, you know what's funny? I I I I tease people. I call it people who have their Hollywood minds, and the Hollywood mind is just that. Like, you know, the sneaking some and the quiet looks and all that. It, this is well beyond that. We are we're great friends. There's been no like, you know that. I wish, you know, it's it, like it's done, but we realize we have a son. She's a super intelligent woman who's intellectually powerful. So we, we trade a lot there. But other than beyond, there's nothing else going on. Nah, um, calls, man. Yeah, no, my, that's cool. I have, a, I have a, a twin brother. Steve knows him. It's Coleman. And he has that relationship with his ex-wife. They yeah. were terrible, terrible married couple. But the best, like co-parents and, and divorce couple ever like i mean it's uh, just crazy like, that, like just taking care of each other thoughtful and i'm like so when they were married it's, together. Awful. it's awful. another evolution i mean uh, talk about evolving you know i was i was on the phone with my cousin the other day and he was pretty much he was he was reading into this relationship even though i haven't seen him in years and yet he was trying to recruit me to be angry. He said, you know, at one point my ex-wife and I and her fiance, we, we did all the Christmas together with his kids. And and he said he couldn't do that. It was, how can I do that? And he'd be pissed. And he was trying to recruit me to be angry. <laughs> Amazing how people put their perspectives on, on uh, you, you know? Yeah. yeah. And I told, I literally used the word evolve. I said, Jimmy, we were married. It was over. We went through a, almost a week of sadness and anger. It was done. And once it was done, I realized once the dust once the dust settles, you realize, oh, I still like the person who's standing here, even though the romance, the sex, all of that's gone. The person I initially had was a phenomenal woman. So keep the relationship. But he was like, no, you got to. I, I was waiting for him to go like, you should just go kill her. <laughs> <laughs> Well, speaking of sneaking over to someone's house, uh, you know, I want to introduce our guest uh, to our listeners. Uh, yeah, and I don't know if Jake, you snuck over to our house uh, by any means, but uh, I'm going to tell a story to kind of lay the groundwork here. A few years ago, uh, Jake and I had kind of lost contact, and I heard that he was coming into town. We were living in Cincinnati at the time. So I reached out and said, hey, um, understand you're playing in our town. Let's get together. And so Jake and his uh, uh, partner at the time came over to the house. And it was great because, you know, I don't know, what had been probably a decade probably or so decade since or we so had since 
connected, right? And so I'm introducing Jake. He walks into the house. The kids are tiny. They look up. They see this big, you know, giant of a man walk in. And so I'm introducing uh, Jake as my friend from high school. And I said, do you guys know what Jake does for a living? And so I explained it to him that he's a professional volleyball player. My daughter, Beth, looks up at him. And then she looks at me with this weird look on her face. And then she looks back at, at Jake. Wasn't sure if she should ask this question or not, but she did. She goes, and they actually pay you for that? <laughs> and so, Jake, apparently you're still getting paid to play volleyball and still doing okay, right? Yeah, it's insane. I've uh, somehow made a career of this thing, this crazy thing I, I love to do. But, yeah, that's funny, dude. That's a good memory. Uh, yeah, I forgot about that, dude. That was Cincinnati. So, much. dude, my part, Rosie was was Sean Rosen. I think Rosie about? was, yeah, yeah, yeah it was so you and Rosie. Probably what, 2010 or something. Probably, yeah, yeah, around then. Yeah, so we're excited to have you on. Uh, you know, you guys, if I understand it right now, you're ranked number one uh, U.S. team getting ready for the Tokyo Olympics, right? Yep. Uh, you've had an amazing career. You're a three-time Olympian already, 35-time uh, AVP champion, three-time uh, AVP league MVP, two-time most inspirational player. Um, I, I believe you're a rookie of the year as well, right? You didn't put this on the sheet, but I remember that about you. And I think, um, you know, what's what's uh, pretty impressive as well is you're a two-time cancer survivor. So, you know, Jake, we, we love uh, having some inspirational people on the podcast, and I think your story is really inspirational. Um, and so we're, we're excited to jump in and talk about this concept of uh, evolving as a person and how you overcome these challenges in life through your life decisions. Um, so, I, but I want to start the podcast out because you and I, although we're not as old as Miles is, um, we're pretty old guys. And, and in sports, you'd be considered over the hill. Is that fair to say? I'm ancient. Although I was and just so, in the room watching Tom Brady do his thing, and he's my age. Yeah, it's pretty yeah. impressive. But it's pretty yeah. rare to see guys our age um, that are out doing the things that you're doing. And I, um, what was it, a couple of weeks ago, I had commented on uh, a video that you put up on Instagram where you were doing some pretty impressive training that, uh, I mean, it was hard for me to get people in high school to do that type of training that you're doing right now. Um, so how have you, as a, as a player on the AVP tour, and somebody who has accomplished just about everything that there is to accomplish, how have you continued to stay in the game and evolve um, in, in this very competitive environment? Well... Yeah, evolving into that game. So, yeah, I played professionally for about 20 years now. Um, the way you have a long career is 100% exactly that, is, is evolving. Uh, for me, you know, I came into the game, and I remember first coming out on tour and, and traveling to the world tour. So the world tour is where we play against Brazil, Germany, Australia. We play against everybody, right? So that's how you qualify for the Olympics but you're playing against the best in the world. And I'm six, seven. And, you know, I remember coming out and my first matches, uh, I was, I was playing in Germany for my first matches. It was world championships. And there must've been 25 cameras on the back of my court because everybody wanted to know like who the new big American was. And, 
And I just remember seeing those and being intimidated, first of all, like, damn, like what is going on right now? Um, but to show you the evolution of the sport, now I'm considered, I, I guess I'm average to, to below average size because there are, you know, there are probably seven, seven footers in, in the world that play on the, on the, on the world tour. And then wow. there are the guys that are six, nine, six, eight, six, ten. you know, there's just the, the, the game has grown and uh, they, they, it's changed and evolved. And so, you know, I was really good coming out. And if I would have just stayed at that level and, and been like, dude, I'm good. I'm going to, I'm going to just keep doing this exact thing year after year, I would have had a really short career. Uh, so it's been a grind for me over 20 years, just continually evolving and continually like just changing my game. I mean, I'm, I'm right now, I'm in my 20, geez, I don't even know what I'm, I'm in 20 something year, 21st year playing professionally. And I'm working on a, a completely new set that I'm taking. So I'm taking a set that, that I'm, I'm hoping kind of changes my game, changes my offense and, and gives guys that have been watching me for 20 years a new look. And I'm also changing, um, like, for example, the I know I'm talking about stuff that maybe you guys don't 100% grasp, but I think you grasp the general concept. I'm working We're, on- You, you got it. We're not that smart, Jake. You know that about me. Well, These guys are about as dumb as I am, so. I wanted to say, get that straight right off the bat. Uh, but yeah, another thing I'm working on is like depth in blocking. So for me, you know, getting down where your butt is almost in the sand and then exploding out of that position is not a strength that Steve would know this. He remembers my basketball years. I didn't have, I didn't have big, strong legs that I could get down in, into, into the sand and explode out of that still. So that's been something I'm, I'm like still working on and getting, getting more and more strength just to become, because I'm now I'm a little bit undersized. I have to, I have to stay out of the vision of the hitters. This is a, I'm getting a little technical here for the first question, but I'm staying out of the vision of the hitters so that I can, I can play this game of deception and still compete with the seven footers. Does that make sense? So it's something that I'm continually working on. I have to do something new every year and then keep working on the basics to keep my game tight. But yeah, it's, it's, it's been something that I've been, I, I work on every single year is changing my game and adapting to where the game is going. And so that I can stay in front of it. Yeah, that's fascinating because I think that, you know, when I, I think back to when you and I used to play basketball together and the thing that always amazed me was you just had this amazing court awareness. You know, I could slash to the basket and I could throw something behind the back or over my head and you would always catch it and then score. And that court awareness, your agility, your ability to adapt was just unbelievable. Um, but I think you bring up a couple of point, interesting points when you're talking about adapting. You're talking about that your sport has changed. There's other people in your sport that are at a uh, you know bigger size. They're taller than you are, and so you have to adapt to that. But you've also had to adapt to. Um, you know, physically where you're at. And I think that as we, as we get older, we have to adapt because we're going to have some changes to the body. We're not going to recover as, as well. So really adaptation and evolution, as I'm hearing you correctly, it's about adapting to the sport, but also adapting to, um, you know, how, how your body has changed. And 
talk a little bit, Jake. I know that uh, you're you're a two-time cancer survivor, which is an inspiration. And many people, when they run into a situation like that, would just say, "All right, I'm hanging it up, and I'm I'm moving on. I'm going to change careers. I'm going to go somewhere else. Uh, maybe use my mind and not my body." But what what has kept you going through those challenges and those changes, both internally, but also looking at the external? Uh, competition around you. What, what's kept you going? What's your main motivation there? Well, number one, I want to provide for my family. So I make a living. Um, but yeah, the, you know, the, the cancer thing was kind of trippy. You know, I, I, I had uh, melanoma cancer in 2003. And that was, you know, I had a mole removed, it was melanoma. And I understood, I understood that it was, that was a scary thing, but it didn't really affect me much. Uh, I had, I had it, you know, in size and kind of, you know, section removed from my shoulder. And it was, you know, it was concerning that I played professional beach volleyball. So I'm, I'm uh, in the sun a lot. So I just had to, you know, take better uh, care of my skin, uh, you know, sunblock, long sleeves, whatever. But the cancer that really rattled me was in 2011, I had testicular cancer. So um, yeah, that one was you know, I look back at it now and 2011 was my worst year, uh, competing in volleyball. And at the time I didn't identify it, but I almost quit that year. Um, I had, we had, we had gone from, uh, you know, a top, top 10 team in the world to falling into what's called a qualifier, which is, you know, you have to go to the event and you have to qualify just to get into the main, main draw. And, uh, I, I remember being in, uh, in Finland competing and walking back. We had just sucked on a 25th, uh, 25th place finish and walking back to the hotel and just being, just being done. My wife was pregnant and I was like, what am I doing here? You know? And, and, uh, I was just ready to hang it up. And I had a great talk with, with, um, a, a dear friend of mine, his name is Mike Dodd. He's a silver medalist from, uh, 96 Olympics. I, I was, he just happened to be in the hotel lobby and we sat there and we chatted and, and, uh, he just talked me through it. You know, he talked me through this low time when I was ready to give it up and I was just playing like shit. And I, I, uh, I didn't have the energy. I didn't have the strength. And I look, I look back at that time now and I recognize that, yeah, I think going through that, that time where, you know, I think I felt vulnerable for the first time, you know, having testicular cancer. And it was like trying to gauge, like, you know, as a professional athlete, you feel, feel invincible for, for a big period of your time, right? Everything's going great. I'm dominating people physically. And then all of a sudden something like that triggers, uh, at least in me, it triggered something that, that, that for the first time I felt vulnerable. And, um, so for me, I had to kind of reset. I had to say, okay, is this something I really want to do? Is this something I really you know, what am I doing here? Is this something I want to do and provide for my family and, and continue with? And so I made that decision in, in 2011 and came back the following year after the worst year of my career. And we were the, we, we won the points title. We were the number one team of the world. Uh, so I say that in that it would have been the easiest thing and the best thing in the world for me to give up right then. Cause I was, I was ready to, man, I was ready to just you know, stop the travel, stop the grind, stop working out every day, stop, stop training, stop eating right. You know what I mean? Like it's, it's, it's hard to, to, to 
live the life of, of like a professional athlete trying to compete with a bunch of 22 year olds. And so um, at that time, you know, that was kind of the biggest, you know, the biggest moment in my career where I decided, okay, yeah, I'm going to do this. I want to do this with, with a family intact and do this with kids. And there's a trade-off there, but it was something I decided to do and, and, uh, and just, just kind of re-energized myself, refocused. And, and uh, you know, that was, that was 10 years ago. So I continued to play for 10 years and now I'm 44 years old trying to qualify for my fourth Olympics, which is insane. Uh, sometimes look back and I can't even believe it, but yeah, so that's, um, that was kind of long winded, but that's, that's, that was kind of my journey through that whole, you know, the uh, cancer and, 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 and just dealing with that mentally, physically, emotionally, and, and getting through it. Yeah. And I think it's, you know, when you think about what you do for a living, um, you, you talk about the, the mental and the emotional and physical, you know, for guys like me, when I go to work every day, it's, uh, there, there's not much physicality to it. I turn a computer on, I look at some spreadsheets, I walk around the space. There's not a lot of physical to it. And so it, there might be some mental challenges, maybe something that uh, stresses me out emotionally. But I think when you're a professional athlete, you take everything, mental, emotional, and physical, and you have to do that grind every single day. If you're not eating right, if you're not training right, um, you're going to see the direct result of that. And, you know, for a guy like you, you're, you're a smart guy, you graduated with uh, uh, a degree in what, finance or banking? Is that right? Yeah, business degree, and then I got a, a master's in in education. Yeah, and and you were I I think um, a lot of people could say, well, you know, I'm going to hang it up because there's a lot of time commitment, the travel, um, pretty amazing to see. I, and I guess that leads me to my next question. So, at, at this stage of life, why a fourth Olympics? What's driving you towards the uh, towards qualifying for the fourth Olympics? Yeah, great question. Um, what's driving me? Well, an Olympic medal is driving me. Uh, Fair enough. First and foremost, uh, I've had three Olympics, so I've I've taken two fifths and a seventeenth. So, um, you know, and, and also for me, that was actually a scary thing. You know, uh, my last Olympics was we took a seventeenth, so we didn't get out of pool play, and I was devastated. Like I, you know, I came home. Uh, the next day I got a flight, I came home from Rio and I like, I mean, I locked myself in my house for three weeks and like, didn't draw the shades. Like it was a, you know, that wasn't a fun time. Um, and so to kind of re, I guess, recommit and, or commit again to the, to another Olympics was really hard for me, you know, but the one thing I, I take pride in is that I, you know, I'm not, I'm not scared to fail. Like that's, that's one thing I've never, never had in my blood or not. That's not true. I am scared to fail, but not scared enough that I don't try. So, you know, that was, that was kind of the biggest barrier for me is like, Hey, am I going to go give this another try and try and, and put myself out there again and go try and go for four Olympics. And, uh, you know, I, I kept competing and kept staying at the top of the game. And, and like I said, with, with the number one American team right now. So, I feel, you know, I feel good. I feel like this is, this is where I want to be. And this is my final year of playing. So I've, I've already uh, conceded that. So um, yeah, so just, I'm going for another, man. <laughs> That's exciting. 
Well, what what was it that made you feel like that this is going to be your final year? I mean, number one team in the world right now, you're going for your fourth one. How did you decide that this is going to be your last year of playing? Uh, it was it was easy. The biggest reason is is I want to go camping, fishing, hiking with my son. So he's he's nine years old, and and he wants nothing more than to that he loves he loves all of that. And I took him up to. I took him up to Ryder Lake up in the Uintas. I don't know if you know where that is, up by like uh, Mirror Lake up uh, yep, yep. And man, the guy's been a, a, an addict to just getting outdoors and going, doing all that stuff. And and for me as a, as a professional athlete, my summers are gone. So that's when I travel. That's when I'm overseas. And so I haven't been able to do that with him. And so I'm just not willing to give up these years when he still wants to hang out with me. You know, I think I have a like, I don't know, four or five more years where he wants to hang out with me. So I'm ready to, to, to hang it up. I'm not going to, and, and another reason is I don't want to, you know, the continual debate is, do you just, do you play until you can't play anymore? Or, or do you go out where you're, you know, there are a lot of, I don't want to go out when I don't feel like I can still win a tournament when I, you know, I don't want, there's a lot of, I, I have an ego. There's a lot of guys out there that haven't beat me in their careers and I don't want them to. So I don't want to go out like, like no, I love it. Go out with the, you know, Trinidad and Tobago beating me at the, at the world games or something. So, uh, yeah, there are a lot of reasons, but it just feels right. So you're not looking for the, uh, the Jamaican bobsled team to come in. <laughs> no. <laughs> if I lose to Jamaica, I'm done. I'll hang it up right now. Yeah, I love it. Jake, one of the things I think that uh, for me is fascinating about um, professional athletics is in in business, you know, my experience has been that people can hide behind a position. They can hide behind um, maybe a resume or a background and they can sit in what we call the Peter principle, which is this uh, concept that you you get elevated to the level of your incompetence and maybe you can still just continue to sit there for a long time. You don't get that in sports because you're constantly competing and having to prove how good you are. And you just talked about that you want to go out on top or you want to go out and, and not have some of these guys uh, that have never beaten you beat you. Uh, but there's a lot of demand. There's a lot of pressure that comes from professional sports. And the fact that you are on stage, uh, you have to compete. And, and you know if you do well, great. If you don't, then everybody's seeing it right there. Talk a little bit about that um, and how you hold yourself accountable to that performance level day in and day out. Yeah, it's crazy. You know, my, my, nobody cares when I step on the court, like we just trained uh, uh, two days ago with these two young kids, you know, they're both 22. They're just out of UCLA. They were all American, everything and volleyball and, and, you know, six, nine and six, eight, these two kids that we're playing against and, and they did not care at all that I was a three-time Olympian. They, you know what I mean? Like it was, they were out there just feasting on balls. These kids are hungry. They're, they're, they're just horny to just beat you down. And yeah, it's, it's like, it motivates them even more to be able to beat me. And so I, I, have, to, I have to prove myself even, you know, again and again, and it's exhausting actually. I'd like to, I'd like to be like, 
you know, our sport especially is, is even different than like the NBA, like NBA, you know, Kobe Bryant, you know, his final few years wasn't playing the same, same level as he, as he was playing when he was, you know, 32, but guess what? The Lakers give him that contract that goes out for the last like four years of his, of his career, which is kind of like people are saying that, yeah, they're paying him for what he did before in beach volleyball. You don't have that. Like we, we compete every year. And if we're not at the top, we don't earn our paycheck. Like there's nobody giving me a, 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 you know, a contract because of what I, what I've done in the past. And you can't, you can't sit the game out if you're tired. It's not like, you know, you just say, Hey coach, I'm out, put somebody else in for me. Yeah. And so you literally are day in and day out um, holding yourself accountable to this high level of performance. Yeah. Yeah. 20, you know, 20 years I've, I've sat out one tournament. That was because I broke my, I, I was in practice before that tournament and, and a kid come, came through the net and kicked my pinky and my pinky toe was pointing directly uh, outward. Anyway, I broke my toe. and uh, Sounds like an excuse to me. <laughs> there should be a story in there where I played with the broken pinky toe, but until you felt that you wouldn't play with it. But um, yeah, it's the truth. It's the truth of, of, of my sport. It's like, uh, it's a grind, man. It's, it's a grind where you're like, when you're in it, you're feeling it. And then you get to sit, sit back at the end of the year and enjoy maybe some of the things that you've accomplished. But while in, while you're in, while you're in it, it's like, just doing everything you can, every tournament to get ready, prep, eat, eat right, play three matches that day. I get done with those three matches that day. Like I'm, I'm in the hotel room or in the hotel gym, spinning out my legs, stretching, waking up the next morning, make sure I'm hydrated. Like it, man, it's like, you know, everything that it takes is, is it's part of the journey and I love it, but it's, it's also, you know, it's, it's work. So, you know, most of the two or three people that are going to listen to our podcast, Jake, they will never reach the level that you're at from a physical standpoint. Um, But one of the things that I saw through almost 20 years in fitness um, was that people have a really tough time staying consistent with physical goals, whether it's an eating plan, uh, an exercise plan, whatever it is. And I would say that a lot of people have got a pretty unhealthy relationship with their body and with the um, the way that they view themselves. And this is something Miles and I have talked about it quite extensively, that a lot of people just don't live in their bodies. They may live cognitively in one space and then physically somewhere else, and they're not living in their body. What is it that you do? Because I'm sure, like most of us, you have those bad days where you don't want to eat the things that you need to eat. You don't want to hydrate the way that you need to hydrate. Um, you may not want to train. What do you do to keep yourself going and keep yourself motivated on those days? Whew. Yeah, man, I feel that. I, you know, during this pandemic, I was like burying a half pint of uh, Ben and Jerry's every night and just like, because I couldn't compete. Is that your jam? <laughs> I saw the fist bump. Um, and, uh, yeah, I had to, for me, it's, for me, it's, it's, you know, I don't know if people can relate to this. Relate to this for, for me, I, for me, I, I have like a fixed date of my first tournament. So my first tournament is, is the second week in March. I'm going to Qatar, Qatar, whatever you want to call it. And, uh, you know, I got to compete at, at the highest level. So if I'm not fit, like, 
if I'm not eating right, if I'm not training and I go out there and make a fool of myself, like that's not fun, you know, and, the, and the, you know, that, that first event is an Olympic qualifier event. So there's a lot on the line for me, you know, I, I got to provide for my family. And, and so um, for me, it's, it's real easy to start, you know, dialing in my diet, dialing in my, you know, for me, I was always working out through the whole pandemic, even though I wasn't training because I'm 44 and I can't take, you know, 44, you, you take two weeks off of lifting, you lose something. Like it's, it's harder to get that back. It's really hard. Yeah. So yeah. for me, I have to stay on top of it and, and, uh, and eat right. You know, my, my wife thinks I'm a little food Nazi, but, uh, for me, it's like, uh, it's living. It's how, you know, how I live my life. So what, what did it take to develop that, uh, consistency and that discipline? Oh, years of years of cutting one thing out and then cutting another thing out, you know, like, um, that's why I'm not, you know, I'm not a big fan of, nobody's a big fan of diets or whatever you want to do to, to, to eat right. But for me, it's been a, it's been a, a progression for the last, you know, once I started eating right, maybe 15 years ago, I started, you know, cutting out sugars. Let's say you start with that and then, and then you're cutting out, uh, you know, just all the fluff, all the bullshit that we all know is, is bad for you. Everyone knows how to eat, right? That's the funny thing is like, does anybody not know that what you should be eating? It's all out there, right? We know it's just whether we do it or not. Right. So, um, I realize what works for my body and I'm just, you know, I, I, I stick pretty tight to just meat and vegetables. And then on days that I train, I, 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 um, I include some carbs, whether, um, you know, usually through fruit or, or a, you know, scoop of oatmeal, but, um, yeah, so I forgot your question now, Steve, I started talking so long. I got shit. Oh, you're good. I was just, uh, you know, for a lot of people, I think it's, it, it's about creating those habits and the habit of discipline. And I, I, I think a lot of times, Jake, people will think that if you're just disciplined enough, you're going to get healthy and fit, but it's, you got to have some discipline at the beginning. And then over time, it's the habits that really create the performance. And so, you know, from, from your standpoint, how did you create those habits over time? And I think you answered it well, where you're talking about that uh, little by little, you had to figure out what worked for your body. Um, what, what did that look like for you? I, because I'm with you. I, I, I think that there's far too many dogmatic diets out there. And like any dogma, it just doesn't work for every single person. Yeah. And I think that it, it's funny because, I, you know, back in, in college, I, I took a comparative religion class. Um, and it was fascinating to me to see people from all different religious sects talking about how theirs is the best and theirs is the most true. They're all talking about the same shit, but yet somehow somebody's right and someone else is a dumbass that doesn't know what they're talking about, even though it's all the same stuff. And yet with diet, and I, and I spent the last 20 or so years in health and fitness where I found the same type of BS. People were talking about diets similar to a religion. And I think that if you're going to be successful at any, any um, endeavor in life, you've got to test what works for you. So how did you figure out and develop this process of training and eating that has worked well for you? Um. Well, yeah, like I, like I, for me, it was like, it was like finding little things that didn't work for me. So, I mean, I, all the way back, my, my first year traveling, uh, internationally, I remember I was playing with a partner and I was, I was drinking soda 
And he brought it up to me. He's like, he's like take it easy on that kid. It was just like a, a, a slight comment where he was like, and he was concerned about me drinking soda. And I was like, what, what is going on here? So it, that was like the first thing that I did was like the first thing where I was like, all right, this isn't good for me. I'm going to cut this out. And I cut, I just remember cutting out soda. I was like, yeah, I'm just not going to drink soda anymore. And I don't, I, it's something I, I cut out for life. Like I, I'll have a, you know, a, um, a diet Coke, you know, I don't know, three or four times a year or something like that, but you are uh, from Utah. So of course, diet Coke. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, unfortunately we don't have the, um, the drink bars you guys have, I forgot what they're called, but the drink bars where you go and you. Oh my gosh. You've seen those. I saw them and there was a line outside the door and I about lost my mind. I was like, yeah, don't, don't do those. That's just all. Oh that'll, that'll kill you. Yeah. It's, it's, it's <laughs> the most ridiculous. Sorry. I don't want to hammer on Utah. I love, I love Utah. <laughs> it's so absurd to me that those things exist first of all, and that they're popular. Well, the, the funny thing, I mean, Jake, you and I grew up together and, um, when we were kids, if somebody talked about having a beer or uh, getting a cigarette or something, oh my gosh, they were the worst person in the world. And yet somehow this thing of going to get your massive 64 ounce uh, drink that's loaded with extra sugar and extra flavor, somehow that's healthy and that's okay. Um, it's it's so, unbelievable to me. It's socially acceptable, right? That's what you do. It is. When you get together, you get together and you bring a, a, a plate of cookies and I bring a cake and you yep. bring a soda pop and we celebrate our lives with sugar as yeah. a, as a, in the Mormon culture and the Utah culture. And it's, man, that was so glad to get out of that. <laughs> that yeah, was, it's amazing. It's tough to go back and witness that that, that still exists. But uh, well, and not only is it when you go to those places and you can get the uh, the massive sodas, you can get cookies that are like a uh, thousand calories per cookie with it. So you're downing. Oh, at probably the, at the drink. Yeah, at the same place. Yeah, so probably two to three thousand calories just straight from sugar. Super yeah. healthy. It's amazing. Cool. It's I, can't, I, I can't imagine what the 20 year study is going to be on that. <laughs> yeah, I can. Hey, I wanted to ask you a question, Jake. Uh, uh, earlier on, you mentioned um, you've made a, a comment a couple times about you have to provide for your family. And, and that's obviously a strong motivating factor for any uh, any father that understands their role. Um, I The question that came to my mind uh, with being able to figure out and negotiate a successful long career in professional sports, which is not the norm, is um, my question is, how has having a family helped you balance that on your journey through your through this profession that typically probably is maybe a five, 10 year max at best, maybe with being at the top of your game with the type of way you have to perform? I'm curious how that, how the family aspect of that has really been a been at play for you. Yeah. Um, yeah, I had to figure out how to handle that, how to how to be a professional athlete and be a family man, uh, because before it was a little more separate for me, where I traveled on the road, and I almost had this this world where it was with my partner and my coach, and we were 
we were there and and then I'd come home and have my family life and and uh uh I didn't like it like I you know um so you know back in oh what was that 2009 or something my wife started traveling with me um I remember I got a Hilton sponsorship and and uh so we were able to stay in nice places and we were able to travel her pretty cheaply and she started going with me on, on every event for about three years. She went to, went with me to every stop. You know, we'd go to Stad, Switzerland. We'd go to, uh, she went with me to uh, South Africa. We played in a tournament in Cape town. She went with me to Germany. She went, you know, Austria everywhere. And, um, yeah, it was, it was just a much better life for me. Like it was, I, I love that feel. I love that, you know, she, now when I travel and she's not with me, we get to talk about, like, yeah, I'm, I'm in Stad. You remember the, the Bernerhof or you remember the, uh, that restaurant that we went to? Yeah, I went there tonight and we, we, we can relate, you know, she can relate. And so, and now with kids, you know, uh, I've learned to kind of integrate them into my, you know, daily routines. They'll come down when I train in Huntington beach, they'll come down to the beach and watch me play. And my son's getting really into volleyball and he, he you know, he'll ask me after he's like, Hey dad, when you, and he'll ask me specifics about volleyball. Like when you hit that one down the line, um, is that what your coach wanted you to do? You know, he'll ask me stuff like that. And I'm like, dude, he's, you know, he's like perceptive. He's super into beach volleyball right now. And it's awesome. And that's really cool. We'll try and bump it around. So, so yeah, I've, I've, uh, that's been kind of my, my path. I've, I've just chosen to be, to integrate the both of them. You know what I mean? You find that that integration enables to, enhance the energy and the focus kind of give you life at times when you're, when you're, when you're needing that draw. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I realized the one thing for sure throughout my career, I've realized like all the, all the bullshit that's out there, like the fame that, you know, like followers on Instagram and like the, that's just, that's just fluff, dude. Like yeah. when I, when I retire next year, like, none of those guys are going to care about me. <laughs> right. They're going to come with me. So yeah. me, you know, I get to, we're, we're not going to care about you after this podcast. Jay. <laughs> <laughs> the last podcast I ever do for evolve. Uh, <laughs> uh, but yeah, you know, it's just a realization of like what matters. Yeah. Well, it's just a cool, um, you know, hearing you speak and reading about you and, the journey you've been on and seeing that path is uh, it's inspiring and it's a, your people are able to draw strength from that. So I, I like that answer on your, it's a simple answer on the family aspect of it, but there's so much power and energy there that um, I, I think a lot of people can relate to that. So thanks. Yeah. And I, I you know, it's interesting, Jake, for me, from my perspective, because uh, growing up and seeing your parents and they were, they were always involved uh, in fact, uh, maybe a little too much at certain points. I remember, uh, I, I don't know if you remember this, but we used to take our, what was our math homework? And whenever we couldn't figure out what it was, we'd go up on the roof. And for some reason, we we thought that it was a great idea to go up on the roof of your house, which was a massive house. Yeah, and do our homework. And I don't even think we'd make it through like a couple of problems. And then you had this way about you where we'd walk down and we'd go see Mama Sandra and it was, uh, hey, mom, can you help us out with this? And then little by little, we would just back away 
And we'd come back an hour later after playing basketball and our homework was done. And, you know, your parents were always involved. I mean, your dad, just one of the, one of my favorite people in the world. Um, how much did their influence uh, impact you when it came to parenting your kids at this point? I mean, talk about that. Cause like you said, you're not always there. You've had to travel a lot. And, and I know your dad was very busy as a doctor, but um how has their influence helped you uh, to in raising your kids and and evolving as a father? Dude, I love I love hanging out with people like you, Steve. That that have memories, dude. You say that, and I hundred percent remember that. But I have not thought about. I haven't. I would. I could never pull that out. That's such a fun memory, <laughs> dude. On top of the roof, doing homework, coming down and having <laughs> homework. First of all, that and then me- we would just go play basketball. I think anything we could do to go play basketball yes. or I guess go play volleyball. Cause a lot of people, I, they may not know that you got your start um, with a garden hose and sure. putting the garden hose around the grassy backyard. knoll in the backyard. Right. That's right. But yeah. So, I mean, your parents I, were a great influence. So how, how have they influenced you as a parent? Oof. In every way, you know, my dad for sure is my, uh, sorry guys, I, I got, the sun is shifting. It's going right in my eyes now. Give me two seconds. I just got it. There we go. Much better. Now you're in the shadow and we can't see you as well. I'm more comfortable in the shadow. Uh, yeah, my dad is for sure my hero. I mean, the guy is, he's, um, the way he influences me, to be honest, is, is I, I'm like, I don't think I'm naturally like the nicest person. I'm, I'm, I'm very good to the people around me, to my close friends and my family. I'm not, I don't go, I'm not outward and I'm not, uh, I don't know what I am, <laughs> but I'm, uh, I'm certainly not him. And I look at the way he, he treated people and, you know, there was like, it's like one of my goals for this uh, for this New Year's was just to be just simply nicer to a neighbor that I haven't, you know, had the best relationship with. And I do that kind of stuff because I see the way my dad treated people in our neighborhood, Steve, you know, the way, um, you know, he would allow people to come into his house at all hours of the night and, and treat him for a hangnail or treat him for, you know, they shut their their, their, their kid had a fever and, you know, would never charge him for that. Or, you know, the way he handled himself and the way he gave of himself is he's, he was, he was a man for you two that don't know him is, was, was just a unique human being, just one of the kindest people on the planet. And it was very, yeah, I think your house was not just big because you guys had such a big family, but it, it needed to second uh, or, or, you know, play second role as a hospital. Yeah, for sure. For and, and for the uh, 12 friends I would have come over and, and eat all our food and, and uh, drink all of our soda pop. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, <laughs> Sorry about all that. <laughs> Steve, dude, I, I have to say, I'm so glad you're doing something like this because I remember, you know, the, 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 the second I knew you would be a, a great orator or, or a great speaker you have any idea what i'm going to say no no is when you gave your 
what do they call it? Mission reception or mission call when you come back, you know, your mission. Oh, yeah, yeah. Okay. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. Steve gave a talk. And I mean, sure, like a quarter of it was bullshit, but like. No, 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 no. 99%. <laughs> it was so good. I still remember you were that, like, it was that impactful for me where I was like, shit, this guy has a presence about him and the way you speak. And I was like, I was just amazed. And uh, certainly it, it uh, is paid off. And I see the success you've had with, with inspiring people because it, that makes sense to me because just listening to you speak does that for people. So it's just cool to see you excel in that and be like, yeah, dude, I, I, Oh, I want to like take credit because I identified it early. Well, I appreciate that. It's all because of you. Um, it and you know, I I was told by a friend years ago that I do have a face for radio, so I got into radio and speaking. The problem is when I would go speak in front of groups, and then they would look at me and they would go running out the door. Um, but I mean, in all joking, but seriously, I think back, Jake, and here's another memory. I don't know if you'll recall this or not. Um, a few years ago, I met somebody who was from France. And uh, so we started talking and I said, hey, I know one line of French. I took French for, I don't know how many years we took it together. But I said, I know one line because my friend Jake and I used to get told this all the time. Our teacher would look at us and say, Jacob, ferme la bouche. Stephen, ferme la bouche. And I said, what does that mean? I don't, I've never looked it up. I have no idea what it means. I just know that Jake and I got told that all the time. And she looks at me, she goes, what's well, a very crude, very rude way to tell you to shut your mouth? And I said, yeah, that makes sense. Because you and I used to be <laughs> trouble nonstop in French class. Yeah. Uh, and I think the only value that I had in that class was that I could write really small so that we could write down all of the test answers and then they would fit in the palm of our hands. And <laughs> You know, two losers in French class. I had a I had a lot of writing on the wrist. Oh yeah, yeah, I remember that. I remember. So writing. you two are you two inspired spies like us movie to pass the test to get into the yeah. CIA. Yeah. <laughs> you come walking in with the cast. Yeah. No feeling in these hands right here. Um, but you know, I think back to to our uh, growing up and and some of the things that inspired me. And, you know, you talked earlier, Jake, about that some of these challenging times in life inspired you to become better. And you had a decision point. You had a, a, a moment where you could have quit and you could have hung it up and you could have said, hey, this is it. And you had some friends that came in and you had conversations and you kept going forward. I think about, you know, where where we all came from and where we all grow up and there's challenges in life. And honestly, those are some of the things that have pushed me forward in my life to say, hey, I've got to continually grow and evolve. You're coming towards the tail end of your career. And as you said, you've got an, another you know, season left and, and then the Olympics, uh, which I'm just saying right now, I'm predicting that you're going to go all the way this time because uh, I believe in you. I love you. And I think you're just going to kill it. After that's over, what's next for Jake Gibb? Ooh, uh, I'm excited for that chapter, man. Uh, it's, it's going to be new. Uh, there's a lot of things I want to do. First of all, 
Um, but first and foremost is, is what I said before, is I want to spend time with my, my kids. So I'm going to be coaching all their, you know, I coach my daughter's soccer team. I'm going to be coaching, you know, club volleyball for my son and uh, involved in his basketball. And, and um, uh, so I'm going to be involved that way for sure. Uh, I'm also going to, I'm going to coach. So I went back and got a degree at, um, I got my master's degree so that I could, if the chance arises, I can take over a university program uh, in beach volleyball and run that program. So you, um, beach volleyball is now an NCAA sport. I don't know if you oh, guys know, cool. they changed that. So in 2015, yeah, it became a sport. So that changed our world a lot because now kids can, can get a scholarship for just beach volleyball, which is insane, right? That's crazy. Or before it had to be indoor volleyball. And then, and then people would like transition into beach. And so now it's its own entity and it's really cool. It's really cool to see the growth of it. So I'm going to be involved in coaching. And, um, I, I did that this year, a bunch, I had like 18 to 24 girls that I was coaching down in Huntington beach. Um, and just kind of testing it out, see if it was something I was first of all, good at, see if I liked it. And I loved it, man. It was, it was cool. It was cool to just, yeah. you know, it's cool to take part in these girls' lives. Like I found myself really invested in, yeah. and, and loving these girls and going to their tournaments just outside of, you know, the times they're paying me to be there. And, yeah, yeah cool. it is a cool it's gonna be a cool fun transition for me so i'm excited it's just kind of interesting i think a lot of people outside of the sport and just appreciate sports and appreciate uh seeing great talent think how does that happen how's a guy from bountiful utah come to the top of the game of a game that really shouldn't be a part of utah in a lot of ways but uh that's really cool you mentioned a couple times about the grind, and I would like to ask you, what advice would you give a young athlete on how to embrace the grind, no matter what the sport is, just how, how what you've done in your career to embrace that, that daily grind? Um, you know, my son is, uh, is 12, and uh, I've, my input to him is it's not about what you're doing when you're at practice. It's about what you're doing when you're not. And, uh, and that's kind of helping him learn how to embrace that grind. But what would you give to say your son or his, his friends or the girls that you coached this past recent se session? What, I mean, cause the grind, if an athlete can't embrace the grind, they're just not going to make it. So what would you say to them? Oh, good question. Um, well, I think that that's different for, for kids. You know, I think for my nine-year-old son, I, I, I try and, I try and ma make sure that he's still having fun every single time. Yep. He goes out. So, yep. you know, it's, I'm, I'm on that. I'm in that place right now where he, he loves it. And I'm trying to like, I want him to love it because I love the sport and, but he wants to play all the time and I'm like pumping the brakes for him. Cause I'm like, I don't want to burn him out too early. So right. I'm on that side with him because he has that like internal fire. Like I already see it in him. Like he's like, he wants to play with the older kids. He's, he wants to prove it to me. <laughs> this is what I did. See that 16 year old. I hit a cut shot in front of him, you know, and I'm like, whoa, whoa, whoa easy kid. Like, so for me, you know, I just have to recognize that in him and see where he's at. And, and like for, for him, it's not going to be hard to like the grind. Like he's ready. He, he feels like he's ready for it right now. So, yeah. uh, for those that don't feel like they're ready and maybe don't feel like it's, it's as important, uh, I can tell you your success is going to be short-lived. Um, yeah. 
it's just, it just is, you know, uh, great athletes. Um, I've had plenty of those as, as partners where they've, you know, been the, the, the best athletes in the world, but didn't put the time in, in the gym didn't yeah. put the time in with diet and nutrition, didn't put the time in with a, a, a mental coach, uh, you know, sports psychology, like that stuff matters, man. It's, it's, it's just as important as the physical. So, um, yeah, I mean, you, you just can't understate how important that stuff is and hopefully they grasp it and go with it and run with it. If not, they're going to die. Putting the time, like you said, putting the time in the diet, the mental development, physical development, all the, all those things is something that uh, growing up playing sports, I didn't, I didn't grasp that till college and understand the importance of that. I just wanted to play. Uh, and I was fortunate enough to fall into some situations that I could, but understanding how important that looking back um, on my short lived career and seeing what you just said triggered some things of sports psychologists and things at the university that realize how important that is. And, ki and kids, you know, young athletes, I mean, I, I guess I'm saying more like high school age on up young athletes who possess the opportunity to continue to play, you know, that grind. I, I didn't think about it that way. And that's, that's a great thing for young yeah, kids to hear. We have, you know, sports, sports psychologists are, are for the mentally ill, right? Yeah. That's almost how we were raised. Right. Steve, like, right. like right. Yeah, we, you go to sports psychologist. So what are you weak? What do you choke? You know what I yeah. mean? So <laughs> it's, it's so ridiculous. And that's like, just in my opinion, just as important as getting with your, uh, your strength coach, yep. get with your sports psych guy and you go through yep. the stuff you're going to have to battle with right here. Yeah, and man. You know, we all think that, Oh no, I'm, I'm tough. I got this. Yeah. Like, oh, yeah, yeah. A, it's a learned behavior. Yep. That's something that you have to go through and, and, you know, I do it all the time. I do, I'm, uh, you know, um, but yeah, it's amazing how little we train that. Right. It's, it's one of the biggest, uh, downfalls of our society of labeling mental development with a, a sports psychologist or a psychologist or whoever that has been so labeled as weak, crazy, you know, why would you do that? Can't you make your own decisions for yourself? Yeah, you know, I, I, and, and therapists and yeah. And I, uh, I started going to counseling years ago for certain things and it's most, it's probably better than any, any physical training I ever did 100%. because it, it, you know, it, the, the most powerful muscle you have in your body is in your head. And if you don't train it right. And so I'm with you hundred uh, percent. I, it's too bad that our societies label it that way, but professionals who know, who get it and, and excel at high levels, it's just another coach. It's just another, it's just another workout it's and another it's vital. Belt. Yep, absolutely. Yeah, Jake, I, I think, you know, for me, it, it's interesting because I've, I've watched your career and as uh, grown up as friends, it's, you know, I've met, I've met uh, athletes, I've met famous people later on in life. And yet knowing you from when, well, I was little, I don't think you were ever little in my eyes because you were always towering over me, but um, knowing you from when we were very Steve, young. You've been little for a long time. Oh, I was little. little. <laughs> I've never been <laughs> no one has ever walked up to me and said, wait a minute, are you Arnold Schwarzenegger? Um, no, I... <laughs> but watching you and your, your development in the, in the sport and seeing the challenges you've overcome, I think one of the things that uh, as we start to wrap this, uh, the, the episode up, 
that's inspiring to me and I think to uh, everyone out there is the fact that you just didn't make any excuses. You know, you, you're a guy from Bountiful, Utah, and anybody that knows Bountiful knows we don't have any beaches there. There was no such thing as sand volleyball. There was a garden hose that created a volleyball uh, court in your backyard on the hill in Bountiful, Utah, and you started playing around with that. We started playing just for fun. And then later on, you said, you know what? I'm going all in. I'm going to move to California. And I, from what I understand, that was something that was usually people start at a younger age. You didn't play college volleyball. You didn't uh, do what a lot of people did in starting out. And you didn't make any excuses. You just jumped in and you became one of the best of all time in your sport, which is just absolutely amazing. Then you get hit with challenges. You get hit with cancer. You get hit with, um, you know, physical challenges that most people would give up on. And you've continued to go through. You mentioned the word uh, vulnerability before. And I think to Casey's point, uh, in our society, we have, as men, thought that vulnerability, coaching of the mind, coaching of the emotions has been something that we just were weak when we get that. Your life and your story to me is a true inspiration and a true story that people can follow to say, you know what, here's a guy that didn't follow a traditional path. He didn't take any shit and he didn't make any excuses along the way. And he has become one of the most successful, if not the most successful in his uh, chosen profession. That's what's inspiring to me. So as we start to wrap it up, you know, what's the advice that you would give to somebody who is sitting there and says, I'm too old to start. I don't have this. I don't have that. Because you're the epitome of the guy that just didn't make any excuses. What's the advice that you would give to a listener who's sitting at home? Maybe they've been quarantined. Maybe they're 50 pounds overweight. Maybe they'd, uh, they wanted to start that business, but they've got a million reasons not to. What would you tell that person? First of all, I'm going to hire you as my hype man, and you're going to travel with me. <laughs> I love and it. We're going to play that, what you just did right there. We're going to play with music. There's going to be smoke coming out. I'm going to be waiting in the background, and you're going to run that yeah, yeah, yeah. thing, and I'm going to come out. And I'm like, we got to do a little Run DMC or Beastie Boys in the background. Yeah. No, I appreciate those words, dude. That was very cool of you. Um, uh, I would say one word accountability so that's the one thing my dad taught me that i would say the, the 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 most important principle that he taught me as a kid was take accountability for your life jacob he would always say that and so whatever happened and he was he was to this he was to the the point of like it was extreme and he's kind of come back from that but when i was a kid like it would be like i'd sprain an ankle and wouldn't be able to play in a basketball game and he'd be like, listen, I want you to realize you made those choices to sprain your ankle. Like you put yourself in that position, like whatever you were doing, why did you create that in your life? Is this yeah. something, is this basketball game, something that was, that was terrifying for you? And that was your way of getting out. So he was extreme with it. Don't get me wrong. But I think there was great lessons for a kid to be like, oh man, whatever happens in my life, I'm creating it. And I've, I've, I've come back from that a little bit in my life where I understand there are some things that we, we can't control, but the majority of the majority of it, I, I think, I think we can. And whether that's just health and nutrition, whether that's being living a healthy life or, or 
a happy life. Like I think, I think we can control that. Um, so that would be my advice. You know, anybody trying to, you know, that's, that's thinks they're too old or can't make it, or, you know, I was 24 years old. I should have, and, and I was just beginning my volleyball uh, career and I made the move out to California to try and play a professional sport that I had no business trying to be a professional in, you know, uh, and I went for it because I thought it was a, it was something that I could do. So, um, yeah, I think, I think you, you, you make it happen. You take accountability and, and you make it happen in your life. And, and it's been something that's worked for me. And, and also I'm, uh, lucky as shit. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think there's some luck involved well, in everything. Luck is a I huge part of success. Yeah. Huge part. Yeah. 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 But I do think that you, you're right when we talk about accountability. I mean, that's something where we want to put the blame on other people at all times. Uh, we are where we are because a great majority of our choices. Sure, life happens. But at the end of the day, if we if we go back to what got us into that situation, there's a great majority of where we're at that's because of our decisions. So that's great that you learned that at a young age. I think we need to teach all of our kids that. Um, and I think it's a great message that as soon as we recognize and take full accountability for everywhere we're, where we are at in life, we can continue to move forward. So Jake Gibb, three-time Olympian, three-time AVP, league MVP, two-time most inspirational player. Um, I would say that's got to be a thousand-time most inspirational player, knowing your story and where you came from. Uh, we really appreciate you joining us for the Evolve podcast today. Great to talk to you again, my friend, and uh, have you on the podcast. Um, how can people get a hold of you? How can they watch you as you're going for your fourth Olympics? What's the best way for people to uh, sit on the sidelines and cheer you along? Yeah, uh, you can follow me on, on Instagram. I'm uh, Jake S. Gibb. Um, or you can, you know, you can watch our tournaments on Amazon Prime. So put on, go on Amazon Prime and put in uh, beach volleyball, and it'll pull up our events. And you can watch, you can watch every event now. It's really cool. The the streaming coverage that we have and and the uh, the people running that show is it's it's a tight tight show. So you can watch us compete and and um, well, you can watch me compete for one more year. I love it. Yeah, that's great. I I, I got to say, I was pretty surprised one day when it, that popped up on my screen on Amazon Prime. I didn't know that you guys were up there. So it was great to see you compete uh, when I hadn't planned on watching you compete one day. So Jake, thanks for joining us. Um, you guys, you've been listening to the Evolve podcast, a podcast that explores your personal evolution based on your choices in life and how you handle the cha the challenges that come to you. Uh, Casey, tell them where they can find us and where they can get a hold of us. We'll find us on Instagram at evolve underscore cast. Uh, we have gear. We have tons of gear. We've got the hats. We've got the hoodies. Yeah, thank you. Again, folks, uh, pick up our gear, you know, and hang out with us, criticize us, let us know how you felt about our guests um, here at Evolve. That's a, another episode of Evolve in the books. Uh, Jake Gibb, uh, we're looking forward to you getting into your uh, fourth and final Olympics and uh, wish you all the best. Now, guys, it's time for you to get out there and evolve. Thanks for joining us with this uh, very nostalgic and fun conversation with my good friend, Jake Gibb. A couple of things I want to challenge you, our listeners, on that came from this episode. One, 
Jake talked about in his story that he's had to constantly adapt throughout his career. He's not sitting back and resting on his laurels, but he's moving forward constantly. How about you? What are you doing to continually evolve, progress, and not just look backwards and say, wow, I'm awesome, I've accomplished that. The second thing that I think came out from this conversation is Jake mentioned that he had a goal and he had a timeline and a deadline. Now it might be different for a professional athlete that he is prepping for a tournament, maybe he's prepping for the Olympics, but you and I can apply the principle just the same. Maybe you want to improve your physical health and so you set a deadline so that you can achieve it by that time to experience something in your life. Having a deadline, having a moment in your life that you can look back on and say, I accomplished that goal, will make you even more focused towards achieving that particular goal. Join us next time as we talk to Dr. Shane Stowell. Shane comes to us with a PhD in psychology and has taken his education into the field of business consulting. Shane gives us some great insight into both personal development and how you can utilize your personal evolution to leverage your strength as a leader, a business owner, and an entrepreneur. That's next time on the Evolve Podcast.